Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hey friends, and welcome to another episode of The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and we have a great show in store for you today. I sit down with Ben Stewart, and Ben Stewart's the pastor of Passion City Church in D.C. He's also written a book called Single, Dating, Engaged, Married, and then a new book that just released a few weeks ago called Rest and War, Rhythms of a Well-Fought Life. Some of you may recognize Ben because he served for 11 years as the executive director of Breakaway Ministries down in College Station with all my Aggie friends. Aaron and I have known Ben and Donna for a long time, and I've always been impressed by Ben's leadership and his desire to point us to the truths and the gospel, and he's doing that again today on this conversation. We talk a lot about how we have a battle to fight. We have a war that someone is against us, and that is Satan. And some of us might feel defeated by our temptations or by our tendencies to run back to the same things that cause destruction in our life. And if that's you, or if you know someone like that, if you've ever been there, or you might be there someday, this conversation is going to bring a lot of hope into your life. And so I'm really excited about you listening to that today. Ben says in here, he says, you have not been set free from the fight, but we've been set free for the fight. And I just want to encourage you. I know that we might not actually know each other in real life, but I hope that you listen to this show often. And I just want to encourage you to say that if you are a follower of Jesus, you have something in you that is greater than what is hurting you. And so you have the ability to fight this temptation. You have the ability to fight for freedom in your life. And I think you're going to hear that today. You guys, a couple of weeks ago on my Instagram, I said a couple of fun facts about myself. And a few of you came in and said, you look nothing like what I thought you were going to look like. In fact, someone said, by listening to your podcast, I thought you were a younger Paula Dean. That made me laugh so much. So if you're sitting here and you're like, I wonder what this Jamie Ivy looks like, come over on Instagram. Instagram is my favorite place on social media. So come find me there. I'm at Jamie Ivy, and we can be social media friends over there. All right, guys, here is my conversation with Ben Stewart. Ben Stewart, welcome to the happy hour. Well, thank you, Jamie. It's good to be here. Welcome back to Texas. It's good to be in Texas, in your studio. That's right. This is cool. Some people might know your voice if they were a student at Texas A&M. Yes. Anytime you say Texas A&M, people... Whoop. They yes, do they it. do. Yes. At our church, if a pastor says, I'm from Texas, everywhere. There they are. They're whooping. And it happened. We cover the globe. At Passion. Mm-hmm. Whoop. So people might recognize your voice from Breakaway. They don't do it as much in D.C. I said howdy a few times in D.C. and then killed that quick. <laughs> Doesn't come off the same. Do we have a bunch of people there? Are we seeing about people Everybody. from... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's what's so exciting about it, is it's all 50 states, all walks of life. There's no monolithic culture in D.C. It's not like, well, this is how we do it in mm-hmm. the north or the south. Yeah. And this, it's like, no, this is everybody. And it's kind of exciting. You know, I want to ask you about something that I did not even think about to this exact moment. So <laughs> forgive me for throwing this on you. <laughs> Let's do it. And we are not going to spend a lot of time on this. But okay. I just hit me. You were in D.C. on January 6th of 2021. Yes, I was. When the insurrection happened. Yeah. So just recently I watched, I think it's on maybe HBO, maybe, the uh, four hours at the Capitol. Oh, I did not watch it. Yeah. I don't know how you feel about reliving that, so I, I don't want to recommend it to you if it was traumatic, but it was a very well done documentary. But what was that like in D.C. living there on that day? 
You know, two things that are maybe unique DC perspective uh-huh. for me is we had a lot of people that serve at our church that were working in the Capitol. And you got to think real time in a moment like that, you're just getting brief texts. And so were we. And the text said things like shots fired, bombs discovered. And so this is happening very real time. And we had people calling us that were in there that all they knew was there's guns in the building bombs were found, you know, and then you find out the bombs were in other places, but still that's not clear in the moment. Mm -hmm. And we had friends having to hide interns that were on their second day of work and telling them you should probably call your parents. So my life was at that moment in no way political. It was all pastoral. So we posted on social media about pray for it and then got all this like political commentary back of you should have taken a side for against. I'm like, man, that is a hundred percent not what I'm trying to do right now. We have people still in the building. Mm-hmm. They stayed in the building all night. And so um, that pastoral side went up huge. And then it was really sad because for us as a family, like you take walks on Capitol Hill right. every day. Yeah. And so to see the fences go up, the razor wire, this is the people's house. That's mm-hmm. what you call it. And the people's house has razor wire. Like, Lord, help us as a country back away from this. Mm. As we disagree, let us do it in a way where we go, but not like this. Yeah. Let's do it in a different way. Yeah. And that's my prayer for all of us, that we can profoundly disagree. And this is what I think believers can do. Yeah. I can look at someone. I had a guy the other day just assume a lot about what I believe and then tell me you should never have been invited to this space, this building, whatever. And I was like, well, man, here's the decision we got to make. Yeah. I said, it seems like you and I disagree, but I love you. And is it possible for us as a society to do that? I said, on my side, the answer is yes. And uh, I don't think he expected to hear that. We ended up becoming friends, but didn't start friendly. That is a question I think a lot of people are asking. And I took my daughter's story to D.C. probably in March of last year. And it was very alarming to see the Capitol in ways that I had never experienced it before. We couldn't even get close to it at all. But, you know, I think that is a question. You have a unique perspective. Not only are you a pastor, but you're pastoring in D.C., which, like you said, it is everybody coming in, all the states, nations, everything is represented. I would imagine that the last couple of years have been really difficult to be a pastor in D.C. because every pastor I know, it has been difficult (laughs) wherever they live, whether they live in D.C., Austin, Texas, Mm -hmm. East Texas, L.A., whatever. What has been unique about pastoring a group of people in the Capitol? Has there been anything unique about it in the last couple of years? Yeah. I mean, D.C. was hit hard as a city. You know, New York, when the numbers were spiking of COVID cases, they were in D.C. as well. So there's a lot of fear about that because of the high density. And so we've had a lot of that kind of fear. But, you know, that's maybe not super unique, but Mm -hmm. it's different than when I come south. You go, okay, it's a different lived experience. What's encouraged me, Jamie, is D.C.'s young. I mean, a third of the city is 20 to 35. I think that's a misconception that people that don't live there don't know. Oh, they don't. That was huge for me when Aaron and I came out and spent some time with you and Donna to learn that. Mm -hmm. I would have thought everyone here is old. No. Yeah. Everyone thinks that. Yeah. uh Yeah. But every old guy has like 50 interns (laughs) and staff that are all millennials. And so you go, the whole town is teeming with young people. and working in different departments and they have differing views. And we would look at our church and go, this is either going to be a picture of heaven or a bomb that blows up in our face because mm. this next two years is a test. Yeah. Can we live out Colossians 3 of mm. loving one another? Can yeah. we live out Ephesians of being knit together and preserving the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace? Like, can we do that? And I'm just thrilled to say we can. Like, so, so much is sad in DC. So many businesses are out of business. So much is difficult. But Sundays is a bright, shining light. And I know pastors are supposed to say that, but I'm like, but I've loved watching the people of Jesus look different. 
because we are able to disagree with civility, love one another deeply. So I have a lot of hope when I show up at church. And if anything, I mean, it's not that I didn't believe the gospel before, but I'm like, this is the hope of the world, man. Like, this is where the answers are. Well, it kind of comes down to where you're like, if this isn't it, then everything is a lie. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of like, if this isn't it, then what are we doing? Mm. And so that hope that you have and you've actually seen it, that's encouraging to us. And I think that's encouraging, too, if people are listening and they're a leader, Mm -hmm. is that they can actually seek out that hope. I love the way you word it. Like, this is either going to be the body of Christ or it's going to be terrible. Mm -hmm. So how do we do that? Yeah. Right now, you have this message that you're talking about a lot because you have a book that just came out at the end of January, which I read, loved it so much that I love it because it feels like it is very much meeting a felt need of Mm. society right now. And you start out the whole book by talking about how it feels different now. The Mm. atmosphere has changed in our culture, in our churches, in our country. I mean, we just talk very little about, but we've all lived it and experienced it. And I think you and I are about the same age. I'm 43. Yeah. 45. 45. Okay. I knew you were older and wiser. (laughs) True. But even the atmosphere has changed from us of growing up. And I think our parents would say the same as well. So you talk about the atmosphere changing. What do you mean when you're talking about that? Even, let me just set the stage too. The book is called Rest and War, Rhythms of a Well-Fought Life. And I think you've kind of set the stage here. We got to figure out why it feels different now. So what does feel different now? Yeah. Well, there's a lot of factors working on us as a culture. I think when I look at primarily millennials and younger, that's who... Not the only people I minister to, but yeah. quite a high volume mm-hmm. of them. You go, the technological changes in their lifetime have been enormously rapid. I mean, you think Google came out the year they did, and the iPhone is still not very old. But you think about within their lifetime, how much has completely changed. And, you know, Dimitri Christakis said it, we're in the midst of a large, uncontrolled experiment on this generation. He's like, we've just changed so much about human dynamics Mm -hmm. within their lifetime. And it takes time to get data. And now we're getting it in. And we're all feeling that. The constant bombardment of information online has filled us all with anxiety. And that constant anxiety now has filled every corner of our lives. So it used to be when you were in your car or in bed at night, it was just you with you Mm -hmm. and God. And that led to meditation, whether you called it that or not, which led to insight and innovation, and you can make some change in your life. Well, all that's gone. So we live at this high pace of anxiety and difficulty and stress, and in the midst of that, a lot of the traditional barriers or uh, buffers to stress have gone away, like the ability to linger with friends. Mm -hmm. You know, in the past, I went to see my dad's old buddies the other day, and they were sitting around in a circle around a fire, and they would talk until they ran out of something to say, and they would sit there until they thought of something else. Mm -hmm. And they did that for eight hours. I was like, this is, I can't hang. I can't hang this long. (laughs) But you're like, but this is how you build deep friendships. Mm -hmm. It takes time. Yeah. And I traffic among people that have very shallow friendships and are very lonely. So in the midst of all that, if I feel scattered and I feel isolated, then I feel purposeless. Mm -hmm. I feel powerless. And it's really distressing place to live. So you're watching a lot of young people. They can they can tell something's wrong and not sure how to fix it. And so I just want to acknowledge to them, yeah, something's really wrong. Yeah, yeah. But but it's like getting a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, that's terrible. When you find out, hey, you feel sick because you are. Yeah. But now I'm empowered. Right. Information can lead to informed decisions. I can make yeah. some choices here. And so that's part of why I wrote this. Like, man, let me empower you. You're not powerless. You have yeah. agency. Yeah. There's things we can do. Yeah. And so let's go. You know, you're writing here about a lot of things that they can feel like we don't have power over. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I really loved you talking about here was temptation. You go through this whole thing you're talking about. How do we go at war for these things? Like, how do we fight for these things? Which I think that's going to flow into all of our conversation today. Yeah. But even resting in God's provision and he's our father and he wants good things for 
for us. Like all yeah. of those things matter in how we survive yeah. and how we make it. But I think temptation is when you're talking about how things are different now, there are a lot more avenues for temptation, but there's also a lot of time that we don't have the community with anymore, you know? And so there's a lot of alone, aloneness. It's like all these things, you can't tackle one without tackling the other. One of the things when you talk about temptation, you said you cannot always help what thoughts enter your mind, but -hmm. you can choose what you entertain. Yeah. So that's giving someone power over their thoughts. Yes. But so many times we feel like we don't have that power. Well, and I think what a lot of people do is they shame themselves. And that shame cycle completely stops you from being able to be strategic, Mm. you know, because you don't think that way. You see it with athletes. Like if they mess up a play, they have to have a short-term memory. Get it out of your head because the ball's coming again. And if you stay in that shame cycle, you're going to miss more passes. So you have to just acknowledge you made a mistake, learn from it immediately, and then move forward and Mm -hmm. make a different choice. And I think the enemy loves to keep us in shame because then you won't think strategically. Mm. I violated my own values. Why did I do that? Mm. For many people, they shame themselves about distractions. It's funny. I just read about this guy in the 1920s. He was super distracted, couldn't focus. So he created a helmet he called the isolator and he just put this huge wooden helmet on his head Mm -hmm. that blocks sound, blocks sight. And he realized I'm still distracted. Mm -hmm. He said, because most of it's internal. Like he silenced the external chaos, but there's all this internal chaos. And he found for many of us, what's true, we go to the external chaos to escape intolerable feelings. You know, like I feel bored, I feel scared, Mm -hmm. I feel uncertain, I feel anxious, so let me grab my phone. So social media is a problem. But social media is a solution to a problem of your anxiety, your fear, your shame. So we have to deal with these internal problems and then address the external ones. But it's never been easier to distract ourselves. So we're not maturing very well spiritually. Uh, It's a problem. It is a problem. And I think it's not a problem that we're thinking, oh, we're going to see a switch in this and we're going to get into a new decade. You know what I mean? So I think that's something that even, not even so much our parents, but even us, because we've kind of lived in the tension of both worlds. Yeah. You know, I don't remember how old I was when I got my first email address, but I feel like I was like a freshman in college or something, you know? Yes. And now I'm like, let me go ahead and get my kids their own webpage so they can have it one day. We have kind of straddled this world, but it's Mm -hmm. something that we're looking forward and going, this isn't going to change. Right. So if this isn't going to change and we're outlining the distractions and we're outlining all these things, where does the hope come for us? Is it like we need to just get better at tuning out the thoughts? Do we need helmets? (laughs) I did see that on Instagram and I loved it. And I was like, that is so true. But like, what is the path forward? Yeah. You know, so it's interesting. The story I told at the beginning was about a buddy of mine and I climbing a mountain and getting out of our depth past our ability. We got up top and suddenly felt nauseous and depleted. And he was, I was like, very anxious for you guys, by the way, when I was reading it, this it story. It was problematic. Yeah. I'm sure as a mom too, yeah. you're like, oh my gosh. Like, yeah, we yeah. did that. But this guy, I'll never forget. He led us to the top. Mm-hmm. And as he prepared to do so, he said, what we're about to do, you do on the ground every day. He said, the only question that's going to be answered about you today is, can you excel at the essential things while your environment gets extreme? And I'll never forget when he said that to me, Jamie, because Mm. years later I started speaking places. And I remember the first time I spoke at a place where like they had my name on stuff Mm -hmm. and there were lights and I'm in the back and I'm like, I'm freaking out. I'm freaking out. Like I can't like, there's no thoughts in my head. Uh And then I just sat back there and I'm like, can I excel at the essential things while the environment gets extreme? I'm like, they brought me here to preach a sermon. I know how to do that. They brought me here to talk to high school kids. I know them. Then block out the lights, bro. Block out the Mm -hmm. crazy. And this last two years, I've said that statement to myself over and Mm -hmm. over again. Can I excel at the essentials while the environment gets extreme? 
And so for me, I go, God has given us a way to navigate life where we flourish, you know, mm-hmm. and we can do that, but we're doing it in an increasingly extreme environment. Mm-hmm. But can I excel as the environment gets extreme? And I think we can, and I think he's given us things to do. You know, it was really empowering for me to read Genesis because I really went on this search. Sorry, I'm like talking a while on this, but I went on a search of what's a man for. If mm-hmm. you don't want to have stereotypes, like, well, I drive trucks and mm-hmm. do this. I'm like, okay, well then what does a man do? So I went to Genesis and we're made in the image of God and you watch God, there's chaos and it's called tohu and bohu. There's no form and no fullness. Like there's no vase and no flowers. And you see God exert himself on the chaos. Mm -hmm. And in three days, he solves the problem of formlessness. He builds the teleological support structures of sea, air, and land. And in the next three days, he fills each of them with life, fish, birds, and humanity. And then he looks at the man and says, now you do that. Cultivate. What is cultivating? I take a garden and I reposition things so that life can flourish. And when I looked at that, I'm like, that's my creation mandate. Mm. I am made to take the resources under my authority from God, and I'm meant to arrange them in a way that all life under my care flourishes. That's the life of my children. That's the life of my wife to the degree I influence her life, of the people I lead as a leader, and of myself. So if my schedule is not leading me to flourish, I'm commanded by God to change it. So that to me was agency. Like, So I'm not victimized by my phone. Right. If I don't like the way my phone is making me think, mm-hmm. I'm going to change it. Yeah. I'm not a victim. I yeah. don't care that society's changing. Right. So that sense of agency for me was helpful. And then you can think strategic. Oh, well, then what, what am I going to do? do? What, what am I going to yeah. do? Well, I'm going to not answer it in the morning. Yeah. Because I always end up angry. Yeah. And I don't like being angry. I know, right? You gave us your whole day with schedule in here, Ben. We can just take it right <laughs> I'm down. I'm trying to help you. Yeah. You know, but it makes me think, too, like talking about having that power. I think one of the things that you do so well in here also is saying, hey, there also are some things against us. Yes. Like we are not like a victim mentality here, but there is a real something, Satan. Yeah. Yeah. Who is actually against us. And one of the things that you're talking here that I thought was so good was about how we actually, once we start to know and understand and believe that the enemy knows your wiring. I read this and I was just like, well, this makes sense. <laughs> Why do I struggle with certain things and someone else doesn't? Yeah. Because I have a tendency towards that. Mm-hmm. And the enemy knows that is going to yeah. use that against me. That's powerful when people can believe that and understand that because yeah. all of a sudden they go, okay, I do have power because I have the Holy Spirit. Like yeah. I have the power that God's given me. Yeah. But you know what it also helps to acknowledge? There are some things that are actually hard because yeah. of this. So talk about that tendency and then how we need to be aware of that struggle as well. Yeah. I think it was helpful for me to learn that. Of It's fascinating in the Bible. As much as Jesus is presented as lamb and shepherd, he's called a warrior from the beginning. I mean, Genesis 3 is, I'm here to crush the head of the serpent. You're like, okay, it starts by acknowledging this is a fight. And then as you get into the New Testament, we're in that fight too. Mm-hmm. And it says, Jesus made a public spectacle of our enemy triumphing over him. Mm -hmm. And so we've associated with the one who did that. So this enemy hates us. William Gurnall said, it's the image of God in you that enrages hell. Mm -hmm. I mean, just the fact that you look like the one who shamed him. But I, I talk to a lot of people that they go, well, I go to church. I read my Bible. I love Jesus. Why do I still struggle? Why do I still have these desires? And the subtle accusation is Christianity's broken. Mm. And you're like, no, you were never promised deliverance now. You're promised it later. What you've been freed up to now is to fight. You've not been freed from the fight. You've been freed for it. Like before you were just a victim. Now you have a chance to be victorious. But I do think it's helpful to acknowledge that. Like, because everyone feels something's wrong. Right. 
I'm not getting where I want to be. I mm-hmm. keep doing things I don't want to do. I'm not advancing where I yeah. want to advance. What's yeah. wrong with me? And yeah. then they can internalize it or pick some little issue. And I think it's helpful the Bible diagnoses that. Yeah. Hey, it feels like a fight because it's a it fight. fight yeah. It feels like a war because it is a war. Right. It feels personal because it's very personal. Mm-hmm. I mean, Paul, I love that he told the Ephesians, we wrestle not with flesh and blood. Wrestling is like, I don't know if you've ever wrestled someone, like their body's on My you, their, son's breath, on the wrestling their team, breath is on you, and watch. they're physically on you. That's wrestling. They yes. grip you and, and you're like, this uh-huh. dude's on me. Mm-hmm. And he's like, that's what the enemy's like. Mm-hmm. He just gets all over you. It's very personal. You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music, just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. The problem is when people feel that wrestle and think, well, I'm a failure. Yeah. Does God actually even love me? Like, yeah. am I done? Or is this even going to work? So yeah. it's that acknowledging this is going to happen. Yeah. He's coming for you. It's fascinating. Hebrews, he's trying to encourage people who are struggling. And he tells them, hey, you've not resisted sin to the point of shedding blood, which is like the most coached thing. Like, hey, you're not even bleeding yet, bro. Right. Like, there is Back so much there. more you can do. So don't give me like, I, mm. I can't do it. He's like, yeah, you're not even bleeding. Yeah. But then the next sentence is, because do you not know your father's disciplining you like a son? He disciplines the one that he loves. And then for the next several verses, he just starts talking about how God's a father to you. Mm-hmm. He loves you. He's got purpose for your life. He calls you sons five times. And I just love that because it's not shaming him like, try harder. It's like, hey, try harder from a place of being loved. Mm-hmm. Like you have a father who loves you. Yeah. He's not shaming you. He wants you to win. And you're in a fight. Yeah. And it's in a fight that may draw blood. But you got a God that wants to train you through it and help you through it. And that's a lot of what I wrote this for is to try to help us yeah. see that. Like your God loves you. Your Savior fought for you. Now he's telling you to strengthen feeble knees, yeah. lift up drooping hands, and let's figure out how to fight. You said the best fighters are those who know that they've been fought for. Yeah. And yeah. I think that when we know like that love, like God is our father, 
And because you and I are both parents, we understand what that feels like. Is like I yeah. would never want to do wrong to my kids. Like yeah. I love them so much and I want good for them. Yeah. It reminds me, and I don't really know, you're the pastor here, so you can correct me if sure. I'm theologically <laughs> off here. A couple of years ago, I used to volunteer a lot at the county jail. And it was very eye-opening for me to see women struggle with addiction. Yeah. Um, I personally have never struggled with addiction and no one in my family has struggled with addiction. I just have not been close to addiction yeah. that I know of. I'm sure I have and not known it. But I would meet these women and they would talk through this addiction. And I thought about them when I was reading this part about you talking about the enemy knowing their tendencies yeah. and so many neurological conversations that we're not getting into today right. and you don't get into about that. But it made me think, and I remember one time I said to a friend, I said, I think what I've learned the most one of the things I've learned the most with being with these ladies is I think some of them might show up to see Jesus off of an overdose. Mm -hmm. And what I meant when I said that was they love him and they're pursuing him and they're clean for so long, but they have a tendency that I don't quite understand. Yeah. But I didn't look at them as though if they made that mistake again, it would cost them their life where my tendency could be greed. And mm -hmm. it's not more than likely going to cost me my life. Yeah. And it just made me think like, man, they're fighting so hard and yet the world is still so difficult mm -hmm. that their tendency that Satan knows. I thought about that when I was reading this and it brought an empathy in me Yeah, for people who are fighting things that look different for me. That leads me to ask you this as you pastor and as I think about being in there with those girls when I was years ago and someone's tendencies are different than ours. Yeah. How do we be the body and not shame and not think, how could you, you know, and yeah. That was something that was really important to me of like sharing my story is I always felt like people, if they heard it, would be like, Ugh, well, never saw that coming <laughs> or, you know, wouldn't have yeah. expected that. And we do that sometimes. So how do we lead people and love people well while also helping them fight? Yeah, I think you were touching on it in a lot of directions. One, I think it is helpful to, how did C.S. Lewis say it? Always keep your nose close to your inner cesspool. You know, he's like just that awareness of like, well, hey, I'm mm -hmm. kind of a mess too. Yeah. And that doesn't excuse us. But it helps us be humble with each other. Mm -hmm. It helps us be sympathetic with the struggle. So I think understanding life is very, very hard helps you be patient with people when they struggle because yeah. you're going to need them to be patient with you when it's your turn. Because mm. James will say it, each one is tempted yeah. when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Like it's coming for all of us. Mm -hmm. And John said, if you say you're without sin, you're a liar. Right. And so the person that feels high and mighty, you're like, maybe you just haven't heard enough, mm -hmm. or maybe you're just a bit short-sighted yeah. in life. But, you know, I think it sounds like a very pastor thing to say to like, well, remember the gospel and that will help you. But, you know, when you were talking about addiction, I remember Patrick Carnes saying it, you know, he's one of the leading voices in America on sex addiction. I wanted to read and understand from a secular viewpoint mm -hmm. how to talk about addiction because yeah. you deal with it so much as yeah. a pastor. And it shocked me. He said, addiction is an intimacy disorder. Mm -hmm. That's where he started. He said, the addict feels unloved and unlovable. And so the place to start fighting addiction is to start from your loved. Mm -hmm. And what's crazy is I'm like, that is James chapter one. Like yeah. when he's talking about temptation, he's saying, hey, look downstream. Temptation gives birth to sin, sin gives birth to death. But then he says, don't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift comes from your father. And James is saying, the lie that's launching all these sins that brings so much power to it is that God's not a good dad. Mm -hmm. He's not gonna take care of you. He doesn't love you. So understanding you're loved. I can't think of the statistics now, Jamie, but I remember reading about kids that didn't come from loving mm -hmm. homes perform far worse in every measurable category. Mm. That kids need to see their parents fight for them, mm -hmm. choose them, work for them. And then I remember I read a book 
just for fun about the Spartans. Just wanted to understand, like, how can you face death and fight like this? I didn't try to make a sermon out of it. Mm -hmm. But they started talking about what's the opposite of fear. And they said it's love. And it's love for the people around me. But then they watched their king choose them. He would run out to battle ahead of them, Mm. not behind them. And they loved that man because of that. Mm -hmm. Because they saw him fight for them. And it gave them the courage to fight. And I'm just looking at that, and I'm like, that's our gospel, yeah. that we watch Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Like, mm-hmm. he chose you. He walked with his face like stone towards death for yeah. you. Yeah. And the Father did that for us. Like, we're loved. Yeah. So the voice in your head that's telling you you're not, that's the enemy. Mm-hmm. That's the most evil thing you could do, is to convince a kid their parent doesn't love them. Mm-hmm. So you fight that life first, and uh, boy, that'll cut out a lot of the power yeah. of temptation. Yeah. And then we can strategize some of the unrest, but it starts there. You know, I think that the tendency would be to think it's not that big of a deal. Either my sin or fighting it. And, you know, you say like every temptation ends in destruction and begins with deception, which is what you were just talking about. Yeah. And you also really encourage in this book of like, okay, go back to that temptation. Go back to that struggle that keeps coming up. I think an example you gave in the book was like a husband and wife. They like they were just fighting and they went back and connected the dots. And it always ended after Tequila Tuesday, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And so it seems kind of like, well, I think that seems like it's written out pretty clear, guys. Maybe we need to skip Tequila Tuesday Mm -hmm. or just have one tequila at Tequila Tuesday. But it is that like, you know, all joking aside, is that like what is happening here? Yeah. Where is this temptation coming from? And I think a lot of times as Christians in North America, if it's not ginormous, like my friends in the jail who were you know, addicted to meth, and it's these yeah. smaller temptations and smaller sins, yeah. we don't view it as a fight. Yeah, We let it go. Yeah, And I think that's a bigger discussion about Christianity in North America and how it can, be, it can feel pretty easy sometimes. Does that yeah. make sense what I'm saying? It does. You know, I look at that and I go, I don't want to revel in what Jesus bled out to destroy. Yeah. And that's not a guilt trip for me. That's just when you look at what he chose to go through and go, yeah, but it's whatever. Like, no, that, yeah, but whatever is not the right response at the foot of the cross. It's, it was that bad that he had to do this. Yeah. And he loved me enough to go through this. I'm not going to play games with it. And then like you were talking about, just when you start to scan the world and look at human suffering, we kind of started with the chaos and the culture. And I remember I had a friend tell me once, she said, when I was younger and like, someone unexpectedly died. She said, I would suddenly look at my life and go, what have I been caring about? Like everything I do doesn't matter. Like somebody just died. Who called me, who texted yeah. me. Uh-huh. She was like, suddenly everything that concerned me got right-sized as yeah. meaningless. Mm-hmm. But now she's older and she's just, her whole life is ministry. And she said, now when death comes, I go, what I'm doing now has never been more important. Mm. And you look at her and you're like, there is authority in your life. There's power in your life. And I look and I'm like, I don't want to play with sin because it wastes my life and it wastes my time. And the world is too hemorrhaging in pain for me to go just fool around while it burns. Like it's just too important for us to fight. You spoke about that a little bit earlier about creating this flourishing life. You said we're meant to create an environment where life can flourish. Yeah. And I think a lot of times what I see, especially with women, is they think, okay, well, what that means is I should write a book. I need to create podcasts. Like, am I going to become a speaker? I'm going to start a nonprofit. You know, like they go real big. Yeah. And unfortunately, I think, you know, culture and Instagram and how we think we can see everyone's life has led us to believe that that is a flourishing life. Right. And I always want to say, if that's what God asked them to do, they are living a flourishing life. Sure. But there is things that in our own life that don't look like that. 
that are still meant to be a flourishing life. I really appreciated that you took the time to make people remember that, you know, that this flourishing is where you are doing what God has created you to do. Right. So then you get to flourish and the people around you get to flourish. Because I think that that takes away that the devil can come in with temptation. I mean, there it is. Yeah. Of saying you're not enough. You're not good enough. And that's a part of it, I think, of just having that being a student of yourself, that mm-hmm. sense of awareness of, um, you know, for me, it helps in the morning. I started doing this in my journal. I would write at the top, how do you feel? Which seems really silly, but I'm like, I would never ask that question. But your feelings drive your actions. Uh-huh. And I would surprise myself every morning because I would have to put words around it. And I never do that. Yeah. And so I'm like, uh, anxious, scared. And then I would do what David taught us to do. Why are you downcast on my soul? I'm like, why am I doing that? Why do I feel that way? And it would unearth some things. Because yeah. if these people aren't impressed, then I'm worthless. Yeah. And I'm just like, whoa, that's... So I'm not strategizing like, how do I get my numbers up? How do <laughs> God, get my numbers up. Like, that's not flourishing. That's mm-hmm. going crazy. Like, it's looking and going, no, Lord, what's happening in my soul? Let me be attentive to the soil of my soul. Mm. And then, Lord... Now can I apply your word into that soil? That's flourishing. That's mm-hmm. you becoming a healthy human being yeah. that can now be a blessing to people rather than trying to use people. Yep. And so it starts there. We do something with our staff once a month called A Day with the Lord. Mm-hmm. And I tell them, you might read books, but don't come and think this is your chance to finally catch up on your books. Yeah. You might write a song. You might do whatever. Just be open to let the Lord set the pace. And they all look at me like, okay. like, And then they show up and they'll be like, I did not want to deal with my relationship with my dad. I didn't want to talk about it, but you made me sit there for five hours with Jesus. And that's what kept coming up. And I realized this is unresolved and affecting the way I treat everyone around me. And they're tending the garden of their soul. Yeah. And they're going to be better at whatever. Is it all y'all are in the one room or you're like, hey, go sit in nature or... We mix it up. Okay. We tend to go to a place. Because okay. if I send them all like to their houses, they're like doing laundry <laughs> with Jesus. Yeah, like, well, that's yeah. fine, but that's not really what we right. have in mind. So we'll, like, we've gone to monasteries or we'll go, because DC's like the neighborhoods are yeah. cool. We're like, hey, we're going to Georgetown. Yeah. So we'll all have breakfast uh-huh. and sit around and talk. Then we'll pray together and then scatter them. Yeah. And Georgetown's like a bunch of cool coffee mm-hmm. shops, but you're in the area. And then we come back and have a meal at the end and talk about what the Lord taught us. And it's just so meaningful because it's the communal piece. Yeah. We always feel too busy. Yep. Someone always wants to cancel it. Mm-hmm. And then afterwards, we always run out of time. Let's talk about community real quick with this whole thing, because I think that that whole we talked earlier about being aware of our tendencies and being aware of what it is. I will ask people sometimes, what will take you out? Yeah. Like, what is going to be the thing that takes you out? In the book, you actually talk about how a pastor in his prayer closet in his study had clippings yeah. around the door of men in pastoral positions who have fallen. Mm-hmm. And we've seen that a lot. I mean, you know, yeah. in the last decade. And I believe that as followers of Jesus, and you talk about it here about being aware, is we've got to know what is it mm-hmm. that will take me out. Yeah. Because I think if I don't acknowledge it, then I'm just given a lot of space yeah. for something to happen. And I always take it a step further and I always say, you need to tell people. Yes. Tell your people. Oh, yeah. What will take you out? And so how do we fight this fight in community? Because I think community is so important. We talk about it all the time. Yeah. You can't do this alone. No. Well, and they say it in AA, right? You're only as sick as your secrets. Hmm. I mean, and that's really the enemy would love to keep yep. you in the dark, alone. You can't tell anyone because you're so much easier to beat up that way. Yeah. And, you know, we're called in the scriptures to keep meeting with one another, to not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin tricks you. 
it deceives you mm-hmm. and you think you're fine. You need a friend to say like, hey, have you noticed like you're really rude lately yeah. to people? Uh-huh. Has anyone told you that yet? <laughs> like that's what a real friend's gonna right. say to you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you have to have those people that love you enough to be honest with you and who aren't impressed with you. But our culture does not create that in the same way. We have a vast amount of shallow connections. Mm -hmm. You have to see the strategic importance of, I need a community to be there for me, and I need to be there for other people. If we're gonna make it, there's no other shot. And every minister I know that's fallen out of ministry, it's a variety of ways they break, but the common denominator is they had no one they could be honest with. Mm -hmm. Because as you get more influence, it just becomes a pyramid, and you're at the top, I can't confess to anyone beneath me, so I have to keep all this inside. Everyone works for me. I develop a secret world, and then one day the pressures and tensions get too much. It keeps pushing me to this little island mm-hmm. of oasis, and I don't hide it anymore, and it all comes tumbling yeah. down. Yeah. And you just have to see that. Yeah. I read a book once about Alexander the Great, and the way the guy wrote it was great, because he wrote it as first person Alexander okay. the Great, which you're like, I don't know how this is going to go. <laughs> but it was awesome, because Alexander would be like, this guy's riding out to war. Here's what he's going to do. And he would just unpack, here's how the guy's going to defeat me. Uh-huh. He's going to come around here. He knows I'm weak here. He was just so aware. Yeah. And he's like, this is how I'm going to lose. And you would read that chapter and you'd be like, you're screwed, bro. Right. Like, I don't know what you're going to do. Uh-huh. And then the next chapter, it would always start with, but here's what I'm going to do. You but go. you have to be aware. Mm-hmm. How's the enemy coming at me? How's he going to get me? Mm-hmm. If each one of us is tempted, how's he going to come? Yeah. And then I need a brother for the day of adversity. Yeah. It's so good. I mean, I tell guys, David beat Goliath alone. And sometimes you got to fight alone. But keep reading because the descendant of Goliath showed up and pinned David to the ground and was about to run a spear through him. But Abishai jumped in and saved his life. Mm -hmm. And so you might beat whatever your besetting sin is one night Mm -hmm. or one week. Right. But weariness plus opportunity equals failure mm. and the enemy will just wear you down and you will fail unless someone can step in and take the hit for you. Yeah. It's interesting after, you know, being in ministry for as long as the both of us have, you get to where you're like, I'm just going to be bold with my questions to people. Yeah. And you know, um, Aaron tells me this is terrible what I do. I think it's very, very great. This has nothing <laughs> to do with ministry or temptation, but it is an example of when I was in my early 20s, I called off a wedding, okay? Mm. And so this seems so random, but yeah. stick with me Let's for a minute. Let's do it. So I was engaged, called it off. Obviously, met my husband. We've been married 20 years. Love mm-hmm. him, all the things. But if I'm really close to someone... <laughs> On their wedding day, like they got their dress on. Yeah. I'm coming in the back and saying, hey, you don't have to do it. I'll take you out. Yeah. We can go out this together. Because to me, I don't feel like anyone would have said that to me. And I want people to have that yeah. that way out. And again, I'm tying two very crazy, not the same things. But it is that person that's going, hey, you can tell me. Yeah. I'm not going to shame you. Yeah. There could be consequences. There's consequences for our actions. That's yeah. how life works. But to have those people in your life that say, I'm going to be willing to hear what you have to say no matter what it is. Yeah. And that takes time. And I think a lot of people are listening are like, well, I got hurt once. You know? Of course. I got hurt. I got burned. This is not worth it. And again, we're also not spending time with each other. I mean, you give a stat at the beginning of the book. I can't remember. Like, the percentage of high school kids actually hang out with each other is crazy low. low. And so I think that fighting for community is something that's really important right now. And I don't shame a young generation. You can't hand a young generation the phones we've handed them and then shame them for not building relationships. You go, okay, we we, <laughs> we, we, did, we this did this to, to you. you. It's not your fault. Mm-hmm. It is your problem. Mm-hmm. So now you have to learn. And every generation has its challenges they yeah. have to face. Here's yours. Mm-hmm. 
how do you build friendships when maybe it hasn't been modeled for yeah. you or you don't know how? Yeah. And you watch them fumble about in it, but it's impacting less time with friends, less marriages, less kids. It's actually affecting the birth rate in America. So you go, hey, all these dominoes connect. We're way more integrated as humans than we thought. Yeah. You know, we thought we lived isolated lives mm-hmm. until the supply chain got right. backed up. So we realize we're all connected, but I think we have to help them figure out how to get around each other, yeah. how to build real friendships. Yeah. I have many friends who are addicts, and when they begin to struggle, they isolate. And I've hung around many that you see not just flourish, become really deep sources of healing for others. And it's because they because have embedded themselves tightly in community where they are rigorously honest, mm. not shaming themselves, yeah, but rigorously honest. And if you can get there... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a mess. We try to say it at church, almost every sermon, I'm like, you are beautiful in the image of God Mm. and you are desperately broken in your sin. And we're not impressed by you. And you can see people in DC like that. They have to put up such a mask, such a veneer, you know, power tie, Mm -hmm. power handshake, power life. I'll cry by myself later. Mm -hmm. And you're like, stop, stop. We don't want that in here. You can't do that in here. Well, I love that community because I think hearing it from the leaders is how churches are going to become churches who actually care for each other in their brokenness, yeah. you know, so they don't feel like they have to put on this thing. Mm-hmm. I feel like this would be a great segue to, here's Jenny Allen, find your people with her, <laughs> her new book. One thing I want to hit real quick before we leave is you do talk about, like, you believe that rhythms help us fight. Yes. And so I think that that's just a very practical thing to yeah. finish with is like, okay, so let's say you've narrowed all these things down. You've figured out where my tendencies are, where my weaknesses are. You believe that God loves you. You've got all these things. Yeah. Practically, what does that look like? And so tell us a little bit about like practically what does that look like for you? And I think people might gain some wisdom from that as well. Yeah, it became urgent for me right out of college. You know, suddenly you're off the rails and you're just living life. Mm -hmm. As a minister, you don't, no one gives you a normal schedule. But I had that experience where I always felt busy and always felt unproductive. Yeah. And after a while, I was like, how do I always feel busy? But then I get home and got nothing off the to-do list. Right. And then a sense of purposelessness haunts you, and it's really discouraging. And for me, what I started to do, it was really that reading that Genesis. God commanded me to organize my life. I would write at the top of a piece of paper all my roles under God. Well, here's what mm-hmm. I'm supposed to do. And then I would just pour out all the little tasks underneath them. And then I would pull my calendar out and go, where are these titles God gave Ben mm-hmm. and the attendant tasks they require? Where will they fit into my time? And I'm going to schedule by priority. And what I discovered was, for me, I'm a teacher, preacher, and I was a student of myself and go, my mind is the most creative in the morning. And so if I distract it with emails, you get in a reactive mindset, you destroy the creative process. If I get into phone calls, it's the gear shifts that waste time for me. And then I was working in a ministry where if anyone came by the office for any reason, they'd be like, Ben, look out. And they would just send people to my office. And I was like, I'm about to lose my mind. Yeah. I'm about to fire everybody. And then I was like, no, it's not them. Hang on. Yeah. It's that there's about 90 minutes in the morning where I can get the most work done that has to be done for Sunday. Mm-hmm. So I don't meet people for coffee. Yeah. And I get asked all the time, hey, you want to meet coffee? No. Mm-hmm. I just tell them no. Yeah. And they're kind of shocked. They're like, oh, wow. I'm yeah. like, no. I love you, man. Uh-huh. We'll do something else. But no, yeah. you can't have that time. Yeah. So in the morning, that's mine, me and the Lord. right? And I just realized that's how I'm wired. That's yeah. how it works. And then lunch, for me, it was like, uh, I can meet anyone for lunch, but people would ask to meet like pastoral conversations. And I realized you had a 15-minute question, and this lunch took two hours. Right. This is not a good strategic use yep. of time. So I don't meet anybody for lunch, except maybe leaders in our ministry. Yeah. I'll meet you for lunch. 
Afternoons, I can't create anything. So trying to write a sermon in the afternoon, you're like, well, that was a waste of five hours. But I can listen. So I'll just show up with my staff and be like, talk to me. Tell me your problems. What do you need? I'm here for Mm -hmm. you now. You know, I put the leading part of my story in the afternoon. And then I know my kids are, when I get home at five, I have two conscious hours with them before Mm -hmm. they go to bed. And I do not want their memory to be of dad choosing the phone over them. I just don't. Because your memory works in flashes. And if the picture they have is of dad choosing his phone over them, I just don't want them to have that. So I check my phone, but not five to seven. I want them to watch me put it away. And it stays away. I always say to Aaron, I'm like, we're not the president of the United States. People can wait. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I feel like the president needs to always have his phone on him. President Biden, just keep it on. You never know. Yeah. I mean, we just don't need our phone Someone on. From the, find yeah, you. exactly. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. Don't need to. I loved reading that practically, and it even got me thinking about even my own life. And I think no matter who's listening to this, if they are a kindergarten teacher, a mom who has the privilege of staying home with their kids right now, or, or CEO of an yeah. amazing nonprofit, there's something there for all of us to go. Okay, what are the things that I can do well? Yeah. When did that work for me, so that I can create a flourishing life for myself and those around me? Yeah. And then figure it out. Yeah. Under God, Under you've God. been given Good. a purpose to know him, pursue him. He's built you a particular way. Be efficient with that machine. Mm. I mean, if athletes are doing that, yeah. you know, if they have chefs like, well, I give him uh-huh. this much glucose because yeah. I know it can, you're like, so he can catch a ball? Right. How about I can do that for the glory of Jesus? Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, there's an agency. Yeah. He's given you that life. He's given you gifts. You're meant to use them for us. So do it and don't waste them. Your life's precious and we need you. So don't let any addiction get you wrapped up. Don't let any inefficiency waste your time. It's precious. It's short. It's a gift. So make your life efficient for the glory of God and for the good of the people he's put you around. And I think when you feel that, you got agency back in your life. Now you can be efficient for a cause, not just so you can have more free time. Yeah. Ben, thank you. It's great to thank be you with for you, this Jamie. book. Thank you for this conversation. I would love to know from you, what are you reading? You sound like a very avid reader. I read a lot. What are you reading right now? Or what have you read recently that you loved? I would say the books I read recently that I loved, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self by Carl Truman was probably the best diagnosis of how we got to where we are as a society today. It's kind of mind blowing. Okay. The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. It's a very not memorable title, but it's a great book. Got it. I read the biography of Ulysses S. Grant. And he's become one of my favorite humans. Wow. And I did not expect that at all. Okay. Freaking love, love this guy. Love it. Lost at every level in life. Yeah. Just the first half, you're like, it's like the movie Rocky. You just can't <laughs> stop losing. Yeah. Like everyone hates you. Yeah. And then you finally found a thing you can do and you saved America. Wow. So I'm just like, I like this guy. Yeah. So those are great. I really liked those. I don't know. I've just started a few books. I read The Intentional Fatherhood okay. by John Tyson. Mm-hmm. That was good for me. Yep. I just finished your book. That's what I just finished well, reading. Well, great. Rest well, Jamie, <laughs> Donna loves yours, by the way, uh-huh. my wife. And can I just say, we love cheering you and Aaron on and your kids and your life and your success here with the happy hour. I just have to say it. I'm so happy for you and grateful for the good you're doing in the world with what you're gifted to do. It's awesome. Thank you so it's much. fun to watch. I want to create a flourishing life for myself and the people listening and around me. Under the things God given me. Uh, ben, thanks so much. Okay, guys, his book came out just like a week ago, Rest and War, Rhythms of a Well-Fought Life. I highly, highly encourage it. I read it and really loved it. Ben Stewart, thanks for coming on. Thank you.
Thanks so much for listening to the Happy Hour Jamie Ivy podcast. We are truly grateful for every single story that we get to share with you, every encouragement we get to bring to you, and every opportunity we get to point us all to Jesus. If you're loving this show, we would appreciate it if you would leave us a rating and or review wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, tell your friends. That is actually the number one way that people find out about our show because you tell them. Join us right here every Wednesday and Friday for meaningful conversations that make us think, make us laugh, and point us to Jesus. Also, come find me on other places around the internet as well. I love Instagram. I'm at Jamie Ivy, And we've been having some fun posting videos on YouTube as well. Sometimes you wish you could see the person I'm interviewing. Well, come over and find us there and you can. jamieivy.com slash YouTube. The Happy Hour is produced by Lindsay Sweeney. Show notes are written by Abigail Castell. Graphics by Rachel Ray. The show is edited by the team at Podshaper. And I'm your host, Jamie. And I love every single week that I get to be here with you guys. Until next time, have a happy hour with a friend. Happy Hour.